If you could, take your Bibles and open up to Psalm chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, there's a stack of Bibles on the back table next to the entranceway. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, then talk to one of us after the service, and we'd love to give you one. That way you can take it home and read it and study it for yourself. But as you turn to Psalm chapter 22, uh, maybe you can think back uh, in your walks with Christ on an instance in which uh, you encounter suffering. And as you encounter this suffering, maybe you can remember uh, experiencing a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, maybe you experienced sadness, depression, discouragement, loneliness. Uh, and as you experienced these roller coasters of emotions, uh, you cried out to God in the midst of your suffering. And maybe it seemed as if God wasn't hearing your prayers, like all of your prayers were just falling on deaf ears. Uh, it seemed as if God wasn't there. As, and maybe you ask yourself the question, uh, is God even there? Is, has He abandoned me? Does He love me anymore? Uh, and if you're a follower of Christ, most likely you've experienced this to some degree or another at some point in your walks with Him. If not, you most likely will at some point. Uh, I remember personally a while back I was struggling with a time of just deep depression in which I just felt lonely. I was experiencing these these roller coaster of emotions. I just felt depressed. I remember crying out to God. I'd wake up in the middle of the night uh, and just want to know that He is there, call out to Him. But it seemed like He was nowhere near. It seemed like He was distant. It seemed like maybe He had abandoned me. I felt like He didn't love me anymore. Um, but all of us encounter suffering in some way, and we have to know how to respond when we are faced with suffering. I'm thankful that God has given us the book of Psalms. Uh, you see in the Psalms that there are collections of, of poetry and prayers and songs. And these psalmists, they have just a wide range of emotions they display throughout the Psalms. Uh, they display sadness and joyfulness. They, they cry out to God in agony and desperation. They cry out to God in praise. Uh, so you see these wide range of emotions. And specifically today in Psalm chapter 22, we're going to see David, King David who's crying out to God in desperation in the midst of his suffering. Uh, he feels as if he has, has been abandoned by God. He feels like God has, uh, is nowhere near. He's hopeless. He feels abandoned. And we're going to learn from David today how we're called to respond in the midst of our suffering, even though we feel hopeless and abandoned. But let's read Psalm chapter 22, starting in verse 1. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. 
They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told to the, of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Let's pray. Uh, God, we come before you today with Psalm 22. And God, we just want to understand your word more. We want to see your glory in Psalm 22. We want to understand exactly what David is going through here and the suffering that he is encountering and how he responded in that. God, we also ask that you give us eyes to see um, how this clearly points toward Jesus and the suffering that he went through in the crucifixion. Help us to see your glory in the psalm. We pray that in your name, Christ. Amen. So there are many who have labeled Psalm 22 as the psalm of the cross. Uh, because it clearly points toward or predicts the crucifixion of Christ that would happen almost a thousand years later. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You can read through the psalm, as we just read, and you can see it's almost like you're you're reading the, uh, an account of Jesus on the cross from his perspective. Um, but you also got to understand as we go through this psalm, this is a psalm of David in which he is writing about a time of suffering that he went through. And he's crying out to God in desperation. But it's almost as if we're taking the prayer journal of David, a page out of his journal, and we're reading it, and we're reading the words of, of David and how he describes the suffering that he's going through. But we've got to understand, this isn't just David's words. These are God's words written through David. Because God has inspired David's words in such a way that he is describing the suffering that he is going through at that present time. But he's also pointing forward, predicting the suffering of Christ that would happen nearly a thousand years later. And so rather than going back and forth as we go through this psalm in chapter 22 and showing you uh, the count of David as he's encountering his suffering and how he responds in that and then going to Jesus and showing you how he's fulfilling certain passages within this chapter, it's first we're going to go through and look at this psalm from the perspective of David and the suffering that he's encountering. 
And then toward the end, we're going to quickly look at this the Psalm 22 from the perspective of David. I mean, from the perspective of Jesus, I'm sorry. But as we go through Psalm 22 and look at the perspective, uh, from the perspective of David and the suffering that he's facing, I've basically, basically bro- broken down this psalm in three different sections. So if you want to write these down, uh, this might help you kind of follow along as we're going through. The first section is Psalm 22, verses 1 through 10. 1 through 10. And this is David's feeling of abandonment. David's feeling of abandonment. The second section is verse 12 through the first half of verse 21. You can write 21a. And this is a description of David's enemies. A description of David's enemies. And then the third section is David's salvation. And this is verse 21, the second half of verse 21 through the rest of the chapter, verse 31. So as we look at these first ten verses from the perspective of David as he's encountering the suffering that he's going through, you're kind of going to see this almost like he's going through this, he's riding this emotional roller coaster. In the first couple of verses, you'll see that he expresses how he feels emotionally. He feels as if God's abandoned him. He feels like he's hopeless, he's, he's emotionally distraught. But then you'll see how all of a sudden he switches and he, and he, instead of expressing how he feels, he reminds himself of the character of who God is in the midst of his suffering. And then you'll see again that he goes back to expressing how he feels. And then he goes back to, to, to reminding himself of who God is and his character. So keep that in mind as we go through the first ten verses. We'll read the verse one and two. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. So you can see right off the bat in verse 1, there's this repetition of, my God, my God. And it's showing you that he's crying out in desperation. And then you see, he says, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? David feels like God is nowhere near saving him from the suffering that he is going through. And when he says words of my groaning, a better translation there is, is roaring words. Basically showing that he's not talking to God in normal tone of voice. He's crying out to God in desperation. He's suffering. You see in verse 2 he says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. He's most likely been crying out for some time now. He's at the point where he's hopeless, crying out day and night for God to save him from his enemies, from the suffering that he's going through. But it seems as if God has abandoned him. But understand, David, he doesn't allow his emotions to shape his view of who God is. Even though he feels alone and hopeless and abandoned, and he feels like it's impossible for him to be saved from his current situation, Listen to verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted you, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. So do you see the shift here? He goes from expressing how he feels emotionally in the midst of his suffering to reminding himself and proclaiming to God his character character of who God is. You see in verses, uh, verse 3, he says, yet you are holy. He's saying, God, you are, 
set apart from all else, all of your creation. You are perfect. You are holy. You are unlike anyone or anything else. Everything you do is perfect. You are perfect. He says you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. You see this picture of God being enthroned on the praises of His people. And then in verse 4, you see David, he, he looks back on the faithfulness of God to those who have come before Him. He says in verse 4, In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were rescued and they trusted and you were not, and, and were not put to shame. So you see, David looks back on the faithfulness of God to his people in the past. And it reminds him of the character of God that he, there have been people before him who have, have, have been hopeless and in despair just like he was, who cried out in hopelessness to God, and yet God did not put them to shame. They cried out to him, they trusted him, and he remained faithful. You could probably imagine David uh, thinking in his mind maybe about Abraham in the past and how God remained faithful to Abraham through the Abrahamic covenant. Or maybe how he remained faithful to Abraham and Sarah even though they were uh, faithless and, and doubted God and were stubborn at times. They provided Abraham and Sarah with a child, Isaac. And maybe he was thinking about the faithfulness of God to Jacob as he deals with his in-laws or as he's dealing with his brother Esau. So David looks back and reminds himself of the faithfulness of God, the character of God, that he is holy and throwing the praises of Israel, and he remains faithful to his people. But then look, he shifts again in verse 6. He goes from reminding himself of the character of who God is and proclaiming that to God and praising God for that to, in verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for, for he delights in him. So David describes himself as a worm and not a man. He's basically saying, the way I'm being treated, the way I feel, I feel like less than a human being. He says that they have been mocking him. They have been making mouths at him. They have been wagging their heads. They're mocking. They're taunting. They're scorning him. When he says in verse 8, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. That's them mocking him. He's repeating how they're mocking him. They're the ones crying. They most likely know that he is the one who worships the one true God of Israel. And yet he's still in suffering. So they're mocking him. You believe in, in, in your God? Then why hasn't he saved you? Why hasn't he rescued you? But David, he doesn't allow his emotions to shape his view of who God is. He expresses them here, how he's feeling. But look at verse 9. Even though I'm scorned, taunted, shamed, disgraced to the point where I feel less than human, even though I feel like I'm abandoned by God, David says, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there's none to help. And so you see, God is the one who formed David in his mother's womb. And David, if you remember, if you know anything about the history of David, when David was a young shepherd boy, he displayed the great faith that he had in God and that he went and slayed the giant Goliath. Uh, so he's obviously been walking with God for some time now. And you can imagine the weight, how that would play even more into the weight that he's feeling of this distress 
and experienced the silence of God in the midst of his suffering. He's trusted God for this entire time and he's remained faithful, but it seems like God has abandoned him. He's not there anymore. In verse 11, he gives a final cry, Be not far from me, for trouble is near. He, he knows that God is his only hope. So you see the abandonment that, that David is feeling. He's, he's expressing his emotions in these first ten verses. But then look at the part two, a description of David's enemies, and starting in verse 12. And we'll read through verse 21. In verse 12, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. So in verses 12 through 13, you see he he describes his enemies. He describes them as bulls of Bashan, or ravening and roaring lion. And what he means by bulls of Bashan, Bashan was this area in the ancient Near East where they would breed the strongest, the largest bulls. So when he calls his enemies bulls of Bashan, he's saying his enemies are strong. They're powerful. When he calls them roaring and ravening lions, he's basically saying they want to rip him to pieces. They want to destroy him. Donald Williams describes verses 14 through 15 by saying, in verse 14, David vividly describes himself as physically and emotionally exhausted. He is drained like water poured out. His bones have literally been separated. Finally, his heart has turned to jelly emotionally, physically, mentally. He's completely spent. In verse 15, David's strength is like a broken, baked piece of pottery. And his tongue cleaves to his palate. His mouth is dry. And all this means that he is at death's door. And whom does he hold responsible but God himself? So David, you can see in verse 15, he cries out to God. He says, you are the one who lays me in the dust of death. David knows that God is the sovereign one who is in control of all things. He's the one who's allowed David to experience the suffering. He's the one who's entrusted David with the suffering that he's going through. But he also knows that God is the only one that can deliver him from the suffering he's going through. And then you look in verses 16 through 18. And David, he describes how dogs or evildoers have surrounded him. And then he describes how they pierce his hands and his feet. They gamble for his clothing or they cast lots for his clothing. And how his bones are beginning to show in verses 16 through 18. If you haven't picked up on it yet, it's pretty obvious. This is a a messianic song. This is pointing toward the suffering of Jesus. Doesn't that remind you of the cross? Pierced his hands and his feet. They're gambling, casting lots for his clothing. All his bones are being shown as he's on the cross. And you wonder, why would David use this language in Psalm 22? Because understand, the crucifixion, it doesn't even exist. That that means of execution doesn't exist at this point when David 
is describing his suffering. Why would he use the language that they pierced my hands and my feet? Um, I believe you've got to understand that David, he's got specific people and events and places in mind as he's describing the suffering that he's going through that we can't really see the details behind what's going on. But I think it's also pretty obvious that God has divinely inspired David's words in such a way that he's using these words to describe his suffering that he's going through. But he's also clearly pointing toward the suffering of Jesus that's going to come nearly a thousand years later. And we'll get to that in a second. So you see this description of David's enemies in verses 12 through the first half of 21. But then you look at verse 21, the second half of 21, 21b, through the rest of the chapter. Let's read it together. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him. All you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before Him shall bow, and all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve Him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, that He has done it. So you see there's a shift here. In the first uh, 21 verses, David's crying out to God. He gives this description of his enemies and the suffering that he's going through and how he feels hopeless. He feels abandoned by God. But then in verse, the second half of verse 21, you see that God has delivered him. God has saved him from the horns of the wild oxen. So even though David felt this way, that God had abandoned him, he really had it. Even though it seemed like David's cries to God were falling on deaf ears, they weren't. God heard his cries to him, and he delivered him. And so as we look at this, this Psalm 22 from the perspective of the suffering that, perspective of David as he goes through his suffering, what are some applications or implications we can look at for us, that we can apply to our own lives? I think as we look at any Psalm, you need to ask yourself two questions. Uh, as you're looking at a psalm. Sometimes it can be kind of hard. You'll sit down and look at a psalm and you're wondering, well, how can I apply this to my own life? Ask yourself these two questions. What does the specific psalm that I'm reading teach me about God, the character of God, who God is? Ask yourself that question. Second question, what does this psalm teach me about how to approach God? What does this psalm teach me about how to approach God? So as we look at Psalm 22, we should ask ourselves what David's response to his suffering and how he approaches God teaches us about how we too are to review God and approach Him in the midst of our suffering. I have five different applications. The first is look to God's Word. I'm not sure who originally wrote this quote, 
If I know uh, John Piper's used it in some of his writings, he says, Don't doubt in the darkness what God has revealed in the light. Don't doubt in the, gar- in the darkness what God has revealed in the light. So when you're in your deepest, darkest moments of suffering, in which you feel, feel abandoned by God, don't doubt in the darkness what God has revealed in His Word. You may feel like God's abandoning you. You may feel hopeless and, and alone and discouraged. But understand, like David, we can't allow our emotions to shape our view of who God is. We have to filter our emotions through the truth of God's Word. You may feel like He's abandoning you in the midst of your suffering, but God's Word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You may feel as if God doesn't care if He doesn't love you anymore. But Romans 8 says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look to God's Word. Secondly, look back on the faithfulness of God. I think this includes looking back on the faithfulness of God in the Scriptures. There's time after time and after time again in the Scriptures you see people crying out to God in hopelessness, and and just like David did in Psalm 22, but yet God remains faithful. Um, but also I think this includes us looking back. You can look back on, on people who came before us in church history. Take a biography, read it. Look about look on how God has been faithful to his people in the past. I mean, and also look back on your own life, how God has been faithful to you time and time and time again as you have gone through suffering in the past. A good good practice is, and I felt doing this a lot, is keep a prayer journal. Uh keep a journal in which you can record the times of suffering that you've gone through and how God has remained faithful to you even in those times of suffering that you can look back on. So look to God's Word and look on the faithfulness of God. And also, David, he did that. Uh, You see in verse 4, he says, "In, In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. He was looking back on the faithfulness of God to those who came before him. So look to God's Word, look back on the faithfulness of God, and look forward with hope. Number three. Uh, at the end of the psalm, David writes, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Understand that when you're in your, your, your face, when you're encountered, when you're encountering your times of suffering, when you face, you're in a time of uh, the darkest suffering that you're going through, understand that God's hearing your prayers that you're crying out to him. They're not falling on deaf ears. And understand that even though you may not know the outcome of the suffering that you're going through and what will happen and all the details behind why he's allowing you to go through it, that God does work together all things for the good of those who love him. And he will ultimately set all things right in the end for those who remain faithful to him. So look to God's word. Uh, look back on the faithfulness of God. Look forward with hope. But also look to others. Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Don't be silent about the faithfulness of God, how He's displayed that in your own life as you've gone through suffering. If you have suffered in the past and you've seen the faithfulness of God, Share that with others. 
don't be silent. You never know how your experience, your encounter with suffering, and how God has shown Himself faithful in your suffering can encourage those around you. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's why we're here. We're here to walk alongside one another. We're here to walk through the fire of suffering with each other. And also, if you're going through suffering, don't be silent. Look to others. That's why we're here. If you're suffering, ask somebody to walk alongside you to help you to filter your emotions to the truth of God's Word. To pray for you, to encourage you, to walk through this with you. You're not alone. God is with you and the people of Christ are with you in your suffering. Gerald Wilson, he writes uh, about the importance of the body of Christ as we're faced with suffering by saying, when our faith is undermined by our circumstances and we are tempted to despair altogether, sometimes our only remaining hope is to place ourselves within the worshiping community of God's people. There He is praised even when we are unable to praise Him. There His mighty acts are proclaimed even when we cannot see them. There God is present though He remains absent from our own experience. So look to others. So we see, look to His Word. Look back on the faithfulness of God. Look forward with hope. Look to others. But lastly, look to Christ. Psalm 22, it clearly points to Jesus' crucifixion and His suffering a thousand years, long, long time after David is gone. It's pointing toward the greater David, Christ. John Calvin, he's, he's written, uh, in this psalm, the Heavenly Father intended that in the person of His Son, those things should be visibly accomplished which were shadowed forth in David. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's a pastor, he says, this is beyond all others the psalm of the cross. And James Montgomery Boyce, he writes, that Psalm 22 is the best description in all the Bible of Jesus Christ's crucifixion. So as you're reading through Psalm 22, I'm reminded of, of as Andy's been going through Luke, and he, he describes the religious leaders. These guys are supposed to know the Old Testament Scriptures very well, right? And yet, you can understand what Jesus means when He says in John 5.39, You search the Scriptures because you think that, I, that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. The, fair, the, the religious leaders, they would have been familiar with the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with Psalm 22. And yet they're totally blind in their sinfulness. I'm reminded too of, of uh, the road to Emmaus uh, where you see Jesus walking with these two men and He somehow veils the eyes of these men to see uh, who He really is. And He's walking through the Old Testament Scriptures showing them how all the Old Testament points toward Him. I would have loved to be one of those two guys walking with Jesus. Um, but these religious leaders are so blind to the fact that Jesus is the one who's treated as less than human during His trial and crucifixion. He's the one who's treated like a worm, described in Psalm 22. He's the one who's being mocked and taunted and humiliated as Psalm 22 verses 7-8 through 8 describes. And it's literally fulfilled in what we read earlier in Matthew. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. 
So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in this way. And Jesus is also the one who's surrounded by the strong bulls of Bashan and the ravening and roaring lions that we that are seeking to devour him. In Psalm 22, 11 through 13, you, you picture the Roman soldiers who have tortured him and crucified him. Jesus is the one whose strength is dried up like a, a clay pot whose tongue sticks to his jaws as the people cry out. He thirsts and they give him sour wine to drink before he offers up his finish and says, that it is finished. Offer, offers up his spirit and says that it is finished. And Jesus is the one as in Psalm twenty two sixteen that is described as having dogs who encompass him, who have a company of evildoers who encircles him, who has his hands and feet pierced to the cross. And Jesus is the one in Psalm twenty two seventeen through eighteen who while on the cross he could count all his bones as Roman soldiers gambled at the foot of the cross for his clothing, who cast lots for his clothing as he is, is nailed naked to the cross in humiliation. And finally, Jesus is the one who, while on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22.1 A lot of people think it's possible that he could have uh, cried out in agony the entire psalm. He could have prayed the entire psalm. We don't know. It's possible. But we do know that he references Psalm 22. He's fulfilling many of the passages within Psalm 22. And that he quotes Psalm 22.1. When he cries out, Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand that unlike David, Jesus is perfect and sinless. So when, when David in Psalm 22, he feels as if God's abandoned him. That's not true. God never abandoned David. But understand, Jesus, He's perfect, He's sinless, which also means that His emotions aren't tainted by sin, like ours are, like David's are. Every time you see Jesus respond emotionally in the Gospels, He responds in a perfectly pure way emotionally. I like what John Calvin says. He says that Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. I think a lot of times what... what I think Andy mentioned this a few weeks ago. When we focus on the crucifixion, we focus just either on the physical or the spiritual. We've got to understand that, that Jesus, He suffered physically, emotionally, spiritually while on the cross. And that when He cries out, My God, My God, why have you forsaken Me? Unlike David who wasn't abandoned, He felt abandoned. Jesus is abandoned by God on the cross. And what I don't mean by that is that there's a separation between the persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son. That didn't happen. Because they're there to carry out the same purpose. God the Father sent His Son to be the one who would pay the penalty for sinners. And Jesus also carried out the will of the Father. And He willingly came, took sins, our sins upon Himself, and He went to the cross and willingly offered up Himself on the cross. So there, there's no division in the persons of the Trinity. What it means that He's abandoned by God is that when He went to the cross, the perfect, sinless Son of God, He was made... A sin offering for us. Paul says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. And that when He was on the cross, He took on the full force of the wrath of God for us. 
And God the Father didn't save him from that. Understand that Christ was abandoned. If you are in Christ, Christ was abandoned so that we would not be abandoned. Christ was made a curse so that we wouldn't have to be. If you have a relationship with Christ, understand that in your darkest times of suffering, that you have hope in Him. Even though you may not feel like you do, you do. But understand that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, when you're faced with suffering, you have no hope. And ultimately, in light of eternity, you have no hope anyway. He calls us to turn from our sin and trust in Him. And the Gospel is very simple. It's that God, He is perfect and He is holy. He's the righteous one who created man in His image. Man, we have sinned against Him. We're separated from Him because of sin. We're deserving of His wrath and His punishment. And He would be just in pouring that out on us. We're hopeless apart from Him. But what does He do? He satisfies His justice. And He also displays His love for us and that He sends Christ to be the one who would live a perfect sinless life and who would offer up Himself on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And He dies and He is raised again from the dead, conquering sin and death. And He simply calls us to respond to that message in turning from our sins, uh, repentance, and trusting in Him in faith. Trusting in the person and works of Christ and being united to Him. So as we sing this last song, I want you to think, uh, I think it's pretty amazing that we didn't go in depth in the last part of the psalm. We just don't have enough time. Uh, but David, he talks about future generations uh, who are yet unborn, who will praise him. I think it's pretty amazing that we're part of those future generations who are praising him now, that we'll praise him in this last song we're about to sing. So think about that. Praise God for his faithfulness. Uh, even when we don't feel like he is there, we feel abandoned by him in the midst of our suffering, even when we're unfaithful to him, he still remains faithful to us. So as we sing this last song, keep that in mind.